0: We've been trying to consider together the kingdom of heaven for quite a while now. We went through seven kingdom of heaven parables in Matthew chapter 13, and we'd like to continue looking at uh, some more parables of the kingdom of heaven and the gospel of Matthew. And in Matthew's gospel is the only gospel that uses the language of the kingdom of heaven. The other gospels use the kingdom of God very often, but Matthew presents it as the kingdom of heaven, which are many lessons that are appropriate for us here in the church. So I'd ask you to turn to Matthew chapter 18, Matthew chapter 18, and we'd like to look at another one of these kingdom of heaven parables that deals with forgiveness. So we're going to read this parable together and highlight just a few things and come back to the meat of the parable, Lord willing, next week. But we want to go back to the beginning of the chapter, leading up to this interaction between Peter and Jesus, uh, to learn the lessons that Jesus was teaching before he delivered this parable, uh, which we really need to understand to put the the parable in the proper context. So let's read uh, this parable together, beginning in Matthew chapter 18, and beginning in verse 21, verse 21, now, understand, we'll look at this in just a moment. Uh, they are in Peter's house in Capernaum. Uh, Jesus has uh, brought a, a little child, and, and he's, he's delivering at least all of the message up to this point with a little child in his lap. And then he says, you need to forgive your brother. If any, man, for any brother trespass against you, you go and you tell it to him. If you can't reconcile that, take two or three people with you. If you can't deal with it there, go take it to the church. And that's the proper biblical pattern. That we will consider this morning, but obviously, something about what Jesus said—something <clears throat> about what Jesus said—was really bothering Peter, because he goes to him in private, and it appears that he had quite a uh, a grudge, quite an offense, uh, an unforgiven trespass. It appears with one of his brothers, and he's very honest. Uh, he's not—I don't believe—trying to circumvent what Jesus is saying here. He is a child of God that is legitimately struggling with an offense that he had, that he's still injured and, and hurts uh, of, of an offense of some other brother against him. And he's saying, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me? And I forgive him till seven times. Now we read that and we say, Peter, I can't believe that you're being so uh, harsh and legalistic and uh, you're only going to be willing to forgive somebody seven times. Now, we'll expound on this more next week. But in the Jewish culture, uh, based on a misunderstanding of the book of Amos, they believed that I only have to forgive you three times. And on that fourth time, I have the right to exact vengeance. Now, if you read the book of Amos, he's, he's describing judgments of all these different nations and all these different peoples. And the language he uses there. Many times, many times throughout the Book of Amos, is that for three transgressions I will judge uh, Gaza or Damascus or whoever. For three transgressions I will uh, I will uh, judge them, but for fourth, I, the fourth I will not forget. So it uses that language in the Book of Amos, but unfortunately, <laughs> these uh, first-century Jews and these Pharisees, for some reason, they thought since God said that I'm gonna judge you on the fourth that we have the right to say act just like God (laughs) God says I'm gonna judge you on the fourth so guess what I get to judge you on the fourth so when uh... when Peter says uh, seven times in the general disposition of the Jewish culture that day he's being very generous he he is giving double what most people would say that I only have to forgive you three times he's saying uh, I'm willing to forgive seven but do I really have to go above and beyond? Think about what Jesus said in the uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, for example. He said, "If someone compels you to go one mile, we'll go two with them." Well, that, that's what Peter was doing here. I'm willing to go double. You know, I, this, everybody else says, you know, four times, and I get to exact vengeance. He's willing. He's willing to go double. Uh, but then Jesus says, "I say unto you, not until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Now that doesn't mean 490 and you keep tally and 491 finally i get to drop the hammer on you well if you've counted 490 times uh you've missed the boat and by the way you've probably miscounted at some point in the middle of that uh the point is you're supposed to forgive perpetually okay and before we get any further you don't have to turn here but please listen to it and jot this down jot this first down if you take notes, this is the point. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32. Be you kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. This is the reason why. Even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. And that's the point. God has forgiven you, and that's what he's teaching here in this parable. He's forgiven you of this great, massive, innumerable debt. And you need to keep that in mind when you are trying to forgive others that have trespassed against you, that have incurred a debt against you. Okay? So not until seven times, but on uh, seventy times seven, which means perpetually. Then he says in verse twenty-three, <clears throat> Therefore is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven. Now what he just got done talking about in verse fifteen, moreover, if thy brother trespass against you. So we're not talking about just uh being kind and cordial and loving our enemies and praying for those that despitefully use us out in the world we're talking about brothers and sisters in Christ okay and it's very evident from the way that Peter asked the question that he had uh, he was struggling with a conflict with a brother in Christ and he said the kingdom of heaven is likened unto the church is like unto a certain king which would take account of his servants and when he had begun to reckon one was brought unto him which owed him ten thousand, talents now conversion rates change all the time but just to give you a little bit of a mental picture of the magnitude of this debt ten thousand talents could very easily equal 15 million dollars and i don't even think in the culture that they lived in this day they couldn't even fathom numbers that big okay so the point is this is a debt that there's no it doesn't matter how hard you work it doesn't matter you could live your whole life and you probably can't even pay the interest on it you're never even gonna pay down the principal okay the, the, the debt is just so big, there's no way you can ever pay it, is the point. It's just, it's to be such a hyperbole that there's no way you can ever pay this debt. 10,000 talents, but just for a, a number reference, let's say that's $15 million. For as much as he had not to pay his debt, his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and his children and all that he had and payment to be made. But the servant, therefore, fell down and worshiped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee off. He's not even asking. The Lord ends up uh, forgiving this and just totally writes off the debt. But he's not even asking for that. He's saying, just give me an extension, which is kind of foolish. An extension isn't going to help you on a debt this big. But he's not even asking to be forgiven. He's saying just just be patient with me Give me an extension and I promise I'm gonna pay the whole thing off the Lord obviously knowing there's no way there's no way he can pay this debt off but in verse 27 the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion with love why did he do this why did he forgive them he had a rightful debt that he had he had a legal uh, option uh, the legal right to exact vengeance upon him and and, and send him to debtors prison which by the way if you know anything about debtors prison back in the day it doesn't make any sense of why they had debtors prison. because if I don't want my money paid I don't want to throw anybody in prison you know go out and have them work and at least they can pay me pennies on the dollar I, I, I do not understand the premise of debtors prison that they had back in the day but that's what they did alright <laughs> if you don't pay you get thrown in prison uh so so instead of doing that he was moved with compassion he was moved with love and praise God that God, out of, his, out of his magnitude, his great love that he had toward us, he had forgiven us of the of magnitude 10,000 talent debt in Jesus Christ. Praise God for that. And we really have to understand that. We have to understand the magnitude of what we've been forgiven on the cross as we, by the Spirit of God and by the grace of God, forgive others that have legitimately trespassed against us we always have to have our mind on the cross but the same servant and you know you would think that this servant was just so elated and joyful that he would have been kind and gracious to everyone because he understood the magnitude of the death that he had been forgiven but what's the first thing he did when he left the first thing that he did, the servant went out, and he didn't go home and tell his wife and say, praise God, this gracious master forgave our debt, was the very first thing he went and did. The, ma- the servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a 100 pence, which is $15. All right, now look over here on the ledger, $15 million over here and $15 over here. There's no comparison to those two debts, is there? But then he <laughs> lays hands on it and takes him by the throat, takes him by the throat, and says, "Pay me everything that you owe." But the servant fell down and besought him, saying, "Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all." Do you understand? That's the exact same wording that he said to the master that forgave him. Okay, the exact same wording. And what did he say? What did he say? He would not. But he cast him into prison till he should pay the debt, verse 31. And then when the fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told uh, their Lord all that was done. The the other servants that uh, that, that were servants of this Lord, they understood how unjust this was. And they were so appalled that this other servant would do this that they went and tattled. They went and tattled on him. And then the Lord said, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion? That's the point of this parable. Compassion and love on my fellow servant even as I had pity on thee. The Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you if ye from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespass. Now, this doesn't mean that if we don't forgive people, God's going to cast us in hell, right? But as we go through this, I hope you can see that the only person that you were hurting with grudges and unforgiveness is yourself. The only person you're hurting is yourself. And you are voluntarily putting yourself into torment. You know, in this parable it says the Lord cast you into torment, but you are putting yourself into torment because you are inflicting judgment and pain and conviction upon yourself when you have. The key to the prison you have the key to tor- to to release that torment what's the key to that to forgive others as Christ has forgiven us okay now let's back up in Matthew chapter 17 and we find that he goes into Capernaum and he goes into Peter's house in Capernaum then they have this discussion about taxes and making our way to chapter 18 And at the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them. And I said unto you, Except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now let's go to Mark chapter 9, which gives a similar account of this event here in Mark chapter 9 that gives us a little bit more information so Mark chapter 9 and in verse 33 they came to Capernaum and being in a house <laughs> Jesus asked them hey what was that that you disputed among yourselves by the way you know he overheard them <laughs> bickering in the back and he said oh by the way what, what was that that you were talking about while we were heading over here and they held their peace for by the way they had disputed among themselves who should be the great. They were a little embarrassed, as they ought to have been. They were embarrassed because, unfortunately, there was a little bit too much pride and jealousy and competitiveness in the ministry. Boy, there's no new thing under the sun, is there? Uh, that ha- that hasn't gone away. Why? Because we're men of like passions, just like they are. And as as jesus is giving them this, these responsibilities and allowing them to heal and to cast out devils now the natural disposition of man unfortunately is that we want to get more power and we want to get more influence and i want to have more authority and you have this natural not just personality conflicts but um background conflicts among the disciples i, I really enjoy the the uh, I guess it's primarily on a streaming service now. Uh, the series The Chosen, I'd recommend that to you. Uh, it uh, depicts the life of Jesus, uh, probably the most authentic depiction of that that, that I've seen, and they, they do it in a very, very good way. Most of the time I'm totally against that, but they do it in a very good godly way. But I really like the, uh, the interactions that they display, which I think is very authentic, uh, between the disciples and kind of the the personality conflicts and the rivalry among them and the way that they depict it there Peter being a fisherman he he had he had a good business so if you have a good business you got to pay taxes right so can you imagine the bitterness uh, that Peter as a fisherman might have against Matthew as a publican that the that the same guy who I know my tax is supposed to be uh, just to use the same denominations, it would be higher than this. But, you know, I know my tax is 100 pence, okay? I know this is what I owe, but you're charging me 300 pence, and you're pocketing the other 200. Well, that's why everybody hated the publicans, right? That's why everybody hated the public. Well, how, how upset do you think there was when, and by the way, it wasn't just Peter. There were four fishermen, four fishermen, and they had to pay their taxes to Matthew. They had to pay their taxes to Matthew. So do you think there was a personal conflict possibly between the publican who was ripping off these fishermen and now i'm supposed to serve with this guy i I like how they depict that in the chosen and who knows i mean that uh, uh, we're we're speculating there but who knows maybe maybe peter was talking about matthew you know i've got i've got a real beef against this guy because you know he didn't just say something that offended me he ripped me off for years and he got rich based on based on me you know Uh, so you have these natural conflicts between the apostles in the ministry and what I want us to understand as we continue through this is that God in his wisdom in creating the body of Christ has put diversity in the body and there is beauty in diversity right it's a blessing that everyone is not like me in the church and in the body of Christ. Right? You can in that. You can that. I'm glad that everybody's not like me. <laughs> okay? There is, there is good things in diversity and people having different opinions and people have different talents. But it's inevitable. We're going to make our way back to Matthew chapter 18 in just a minute. He says, it's inevitable that offenses are going to come. Offenses are going to come. Why? Because we're different and because we're sinners. And I'm going to have a different opinion. And sometimes I, I, I may not have malice in my heart, but sometimes I say things with the wrong tone that's received in the wrong way. Or maybe I just say something dumb. I do that a lot. I say something I don't mean and I say something dumb and I got to apologize for it. Well, those are inevitable in our interactions in the church and in the kingdom of heaven. It's just a baseline understanding that we will offend one another. Can we accept that? Are you taking notes? We will offend one another. Okay? That's just going to happen. But how do we deal with that? How do we deal with that? And sometimes we get this idea that just because someone is different than me and just because someone has a different uh, opinion than me that, that means they're sinful and they're wrong, and I'm right. Be very careful. Be very careful adopting that attitude. And I think that's part of the reason why Jesus said, hey, look at this little child that's humble, that's unpretentious, that's forgiving, that uh, much could be said. And that's not really our focus this morning, uh, focusing on the attributes of children that are so gracious, and especially in the context of forgiveness, you, you don't see children walking around at age 10 saying I remember that time you stole my toy when I was three and I'm not going to play with you today because you stole my toy when I was children get over things quickly don't they now they now they may have it out for 10 minutes you know I mean they, they they may they may bicker for a little bit but it's very short lived they're very forgiving aren't they but I want you to understand that there is diversity in the body and we are going to have a degree, it's got to be covered in love, okay? But there's gonna be a natural disposition of a little bit of personality conflicts in the church. Okay? But how do we deal with that? You can't say every time that someone says something that I don't like, that number one, I'm not gonna to talk to them about it. I'm gonna to talk to someone else about it. I'm gonna gossip about it. I'm gonna send it to someone else, and then I'm gonna create this big issue. And now something that is probably by the way that's why you're supposed to go and talk to them first most likely it's a miscommunication most likely I don't have a stat on this I don't have a study on this but my percentage is that 80% of the time if you talk to somebody about something you took wrong you're gonna realize I didn't mean that I didn't I didn't mean it like that that's why you talk about it that's why you talk about it and you clear up misunderstandings before you make mountains out of molehills okay now the other aspect of this as we continue on through the biblical pattern that you need to if you feel offended you need to talk to them individually if you can't reconcile it you bring one or one or two more people involved and then you go to the church now we're talking about real offenses here. We're talking about real offenses. We're not talking about our feelings being a little too sensitive because somebody said something that we didn't like. Okay? We'll put it like this. Jesus said that where two or three are gathered together in my name, in my name, by the way. That's, that's one important aspect. You can, both, you can get together and you can have an argument and you can have it out. But if God, if you both approach it and say, listen, I love you, I know you love me, let's pray, and now let's talk about it. Jesus is going to be there to help you reconcile that conflict when you meet in my name. Now, if you just want to have it out with them and just chew them out because they're in the wrong, Jesus may not be there in the midst of you, okay? But if you approach it in the right way, even when it's just you one-on-one, that, that's two people, one and one. That makes two, right? And Jesus said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, I'm in the midst of them. So that means, if we're approaching it in the right context, in the right spirit, that Jesus is going to be right there with us. Now, think through, if Jesus was there in person, if Jesus was there in person, would you be a little bit embarrassed to tell him that you were offended something somebody said that ruffled your feathers a little bit okay now don't you to think about this if jesus came back from heaven and he's sitting across from you and you can look at the prints of the nails in his hands and you can look at the hole of the spirit through his side and if you can look at the nail prints of Jesus sitting right there beside you and you can say definitively this person has wronged me and they owe me you know if you view it that way I think there's a lot of things that you can throw under the heading of grace and say you know what I'm gonna forgive them for Christ's sake because I'd be embarrassed I'd be embarrassed to say Jesus uh, nowadays let me call up Jesus and say I need you to mediate a, a, a conflict with me and my brother when, you're, when are you available? And then he shows up, and then he puts his hands on the table, and you look at the nail prints in his hands. Are you going to be embarrassed to say what the offense was? If you are, you might need to just forgive him for Christ's sake and say, I love you because Christ loved me, and I'm going to cover that. I'm going to pay that debt in my mind for Christ's sake. Okay? Now, part of the reason why these men were embarrassed was because Jesus was literally there. Now, now, do you think that they wanted to say they were embarrassed? They said, I believe that I'm a better preacher than Peter, John speaking, so therefore I should be your vice president in your kingdom. Well, guess what? He didn't say that because he was embarrassed. (laughs) He was embarrassed. And he tells them, and he sat down and called the twelve and said unto them, If any man desire to be first, the same shall be last of all in the servant. Okay, you want to be the greatest in the kingdom? Here's what you do. Here's what you do. Number one, you don't try to elevate yourself above someone else. You purposefully put yourself below everybody else. That's the way you get to the top in the kingdom. And... <laughs> Preachers back in the original church were just like preachers today. They didn't get it. And they were prideful. So he takes a child, puts him in the midst of them, and he says in verse 37 Whosoever shall receive one of such children in my name receiveth me, and whosoever shall receive me receiveth not me, but him that sent me. So he said, Listen, you're, you're being prideful you're jockeying for position, you're wanting to get power and influence so you can wield that power over other people, you need to be humble like this little bitty child. And obviously all the apostles said, absolutely, I understand our error, please forgive us Lord. What did John say in response to that? What did John say? Master, we saw one casting out devils and he followed us not and we forbade him. I I can see the pride bubbling out of john i aren't you proud of me jesus I, I i'm looking for my gold i'm looking for my pat on the back and for you to give me my lapel pin because i i know you're going to be proud of me that i am so zealous for your the sons of thunder i'm so zealous for your kingdom that somebody disagreed with us and i chewed them out aren't you proud of me jesus aren't you proud of me Jesus because somebody had a little bit different opinion than me that somebody wasn't following exactly the way they should have aren't you proud of me that I let him have it he said you missed the whole boat John you missed the whole boat he said forbid him not forbid him not for there is no man which shall do a miracle in my name that can lightly speak evil of me. He that is not against us is on our part. You got the wrong disposition. This world is so antagonistic toward Jesus Christ that if someone is not actively persecuting you, then in the big scheme of things, they're on your side. Okay? But Jesus, <clears throat> later on, um, when the Apostle Paul was instructing, timothy about the qualifications for the ministry he said don't consider for ordination a novice less being lifted up with pride they will fall into the condemnation of the devil and understand these men at this time they're novices right i mean they spent three and a half years with jesus but they, they don't have three a full three years in yet okay these were novices and it is evident that they were not where they needed to be now praise God later a little bit later on when the Spirit of God is working in the kingdom and working in the ministry you're not gonna have this jealousy and this rivalry what happened on the day of Pentecost there wasn't arguments on the day of Pentecost was it there was perfect unity when the Holy Spirit came down in power and they were all prophesying together but unfortunately the nature of men and guess what preachers are men the best of men are only men at best okay Preachers get prideful. And how many problems have been caused in the Lord's church because of pride and wanting to elevate themselves to a position of authority that is beyond the scriptural pattern? There is no higher authority in the church at all other than the local church. There is not a regional director. There is not a state director. There is not a national board of directors. And when we create structures that allows men to wield influence and then to to have retaliatory tactics against people who disagree with them, you are totally circumventing the biblical pattern. Okay? Jesus tried to show the ministry humility. Humility. And they were jealous and prideful among one another and then sometimes the ministry is not even that prideful but the church sees a great gift and they begin to elevate people and pit them against one another. That's what the Corinthian church did, right? I'm a Paul and I am a Paulist. You think Paul said, okay, everybody on my side. Apollos said everybody on my side. No, that was, the, that was the church that was creating those incorrect divisions. And that's what happens when we let pride elevate us above servant leadership okay so unfortunately which by the way this shows one of the reasons why when too much authority is put in one person's hands there's going to be problems what would have happened if John, and he was and he wanted it. He wanted the vice president. He was running for it, wouldn't he? He even got his mama involved a little bit later. He wanted it. What would have happened if he would have got it? He was the one who said, oh, people disagree with us? Jesus, give me, give me the ability to call down fire from heaven. Is that the guy you want running, being the vice president of the kingdom? I don't. I don't. Why? Because he's way too prideful. He's way too prideful. Now, praise God, eventually by the end of his life, I, I love the... The uh, the depiction that he gives in in First John by the end of his life, old John the Apostle of Love, and he's writing gently to the people in First and First John, and he said, "I write unto you, little children." <laughs> he's the one who ignored, uh, who ignored the child the first time, but now he's writing unto them. I'm writing unto you, little children. Display this humility that I didn't have in my younger days. Okay. um back to matthew chapter 18 <clears throat> except you be converted and become as little children you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven whosoever shall humble himself as this little child the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven the way that you display greatness in the kingdom is by humility it's not by pride you know where pride comes from it comes from the world and from satan That was Satan's original sin, right? He had pride. He wanted to elevate himself above his proper station. Which, by the way, if you study the downfall of Sodom and Gomorrah, now we know where Sodom and Gomorrah ended up. Homosexuality, bestiality, pedophilia, all that, and the Lord said, I'm just going to burn them up. You want to know where it says in Ezekiel that all that started with? Pride. Pride. He said, look, you need to be humble. You need to be humble. And just in case you get a little prideful, interact with a little child for a little bit and see their humility and see their forgiveness. Okay, verse six. Whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me. This is how seriously God takes it. This is the word of God. This isn't my opinion. This is how seriously God takes offending one of his fragile babes in Christ. You know, we, we've been going through the kingdom of, of heaven parables and the parable of the sower I hope that you s- saw from that just how fragile the young un, uh, un they have their roots have not uh, got as deep as they should yet they, they don't have the knowledge that they need yet those young uh, babes in Christ are so fra and isn't it interesting that God uses that analogy right a, a babe a little baby baby a nursing baby is is so vulnerable and so fragile that you have to have special protection for them, right? You have to have a special attention for them. And Satan is coming after them. Satan is coming after those young babes in Christ, and we see all of the, the pitfalls of the wayside and the, and the stony ground and the thorny. We saw all the pitfalls of that. But, and, th- and that's just the, the world and Satan trying to tear you down. But how sad and how disrespectful would it be that if, in addition to Satan being against them, in addition to the world being against them, that there is a brother in Christ that's offending them. And he says, if, if you offend one of these little ones which believe in me. Now, this is not talking about all children 10 and under. It can include those. But this is talking about babes in Christ because are, these are those that believe in the Lord. You could be a 60-year-old babe in Christ, fragile and vulnerable, and if you offend one of them, Jesus said, hey, it's better for you that a millstone were hanged about your neck and you drowned in the depth of the sea. It's better for you to lose your physical life than to offend and, and hurt the discipleship of these little bitty babes in Christ. That's how seriously God takes this. And woe unto the world because of offenses. For it must needs be that offenses come. It just means that there will be offenses in the kingdom. There will be. And I would ask, as your pastor, to please cast a mantle of charity over me because when we assemble together, I'm doing most of the talking in public and I'm gonna speak to every one of you, hopefully, Lord willing, before you leave every Sunday, and it says in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 19, in the multitude of words, there lacketh not sin, but he that refraineth his lips is wise. And that's true, isn't it? The more you talk, the more you're gonna say something dumb. The more you talk, the more you are opening up a possibility for you to make a mistake, right? Now, that doesn't mean we need to be mute, right? We need to, we need to talk, we need to communicate, we need to fellowship, but we also need to calibrate that with uh, uh, James chapter 1 and verse 19. Be swift to hear and slow to speak, right? Uh, don't, don't, don't speak quickly. Don't, don't speak in folly. But the more we talk, inevitably, we're going to say something wrong. Inevitably, we're going to, if you don't offend in any other way, you're probably going to offend somebody verbally. And even if you don't, if you think you say the right words, Sometimes you deliver it in the wrong tone. What is it, like 80 90% of communication is nonverbal, right? And it's very easy for people to misinterpret your tone, even if you think you said it in the right way. And guess what? That's why if you're offended by something that I say, come talk to me, come talk to me. And that applies to everyone else. If you're, if you offend, if you're offended by another church member and, and you think they said something that was inappropriate, that was offensive to you, you should go talk to them individually before you even tell your wife, before you even tell your husband, before you tell your best friend. Why? Because don't allow, it says a little leaven, leaven to the whole lump, don't let that leaven spread. Now, if you talk to them and, and they say, well, I, I meant that. I mean, I, I meant to offend you. I, I, now, if it's a gentle, loving rebuke, we always need to be humble. Because sometimes, you, you, this may be a surprise to you, sometimes you could be in the wrong, right? Sometimes I could be in the wrong. We need to talk about it and receive it in humility. But there's sometimes that somebody just puts their foot down and says, well, no, I meant exactly what I said. I, I meant to offend you. All right, well, now, now we need to deal with that in a little bit different way, right? But most of the time, most of the time, if you take something the wrong way and if you go talk to them individually, Don't talk to somebody else. Don't spread gossip. We always know what the telephone game does. You talk to somebody, you talk to somebody, talk to somebody. By that fourth or fifth iteration, it does not resemble the original circumstance at all. That's That's why God condemns gossip. Don't gossip. Unless you have confirmed it yourself, don't spread it. Don't spread it. I mean, if if just my tongue, he says the fire. He says the tongue is a fire that can create this huge uh, wildfire. Now, if I can do that individually, what happens when somebody takes my tongue, takes a statement, and then it gets repeated and repeated and repeated and repeated and repeated? If if just a legitimate offense and me saying something wrong can create this this wildfire, what happens when? One person pours gasoline on it, then another person pours gasoline on it, then another person, what happens? You know, that whole fire could have been extinguished by somebody going to them, following Jesus's pattern and saying, listen, this is what I heard. This is how I received it. Let's talk about this. And I want to know if this is indicative of a bigger problem. Have I offended you in some way and come to them in love? And if you do that, it says that Jesus will be there in the midst of you. And guess what? Guess what? If Jesus is there in the midst of you and both of you are following the direction of Jesus and both of you are following the direction of the Holy Spirit in the manner that you ought to, Jesus is not going to say, commanding both of you by the end of that, that you know what? Y'all need to be lifelong enemies. Is that, you think Jesus is going to tell you that? when you're following the direction of the Spirit? And if you reach that conclusion, then that means that one of the two parties is not following the direction of the Holy Spirit, okay? Christ will always bring us into, he's the author author of peace, not of confusion, not of dissension, not of war. He's the author of unity in the body of Christ. Woe unto the world because because of offenses. Wherefore, if thy hand or thy foot offend thee, cut them off and cast them from thee, for it is better for thee to enter into life, into the abundant life, hauled or maimed, rather than two hands or two feet, to be cast into everlasting fire. Now there's a lot of applications to that in uh, besetting sins. And if you're engaging in this activity and there's something that's causing you to engage in that activity, get rid of that thing. It's better for you to get rid of the thing in total than to be tempted by that. But in this context, it's talking about offending little ones. So if there is something that, can, that keeps you continually offending little ones and hurting their discipleship, then you need to correct that. And you don't have the right to say, well, that's just, that's just the way I am. I just tell it like it is. People need to take it or leave it. That's just the way I am. God made me blunt and disrespectful. <laughs> No, he didn't. No, he didn't. Yeah, you can speak the truth, but guess what the rest of that verse says? Speak the truth in love. Okay? You can't just say, oh, well, that's just the way I am. People need to take it or leave it. You know what that is? That's pride. That's pride. Go spend some time with some little children. Look at their humility. That's pride to say, this is how I am. Everybody needs to just take it or leave it. You will be a... Detriment to the kingdom of heaven. You will be a cause of division in the church if you take that attitude and say, "This is how I don't care who I offend. This is who I am. God made me this way, and I don't have to uh, season my speech with salt like everybody else. I don't have to season my my speech with grace like everybody else." That's pride, and that's sin. If thou not offend thee, cut it out. Cut it out, cast it out. Take heed, verse 10, that you despise not one of these little ones. For I say unto you that in heaven, their angels do always behold the face of my father, which is in heaven. very interesting language, right? Uh, It says in uh, multiple places, both in Daniel and in Revelation, when it's describing angels, it says there are uh, 10,000 times 10,000, and that's 100 million. But then on top of that, Thousands of thousands. I don't know how many angels there are, but it says that angels are ministering servants to minister to God's to God's people. And I believe that there are billions of God's elect on the face of this earth. Billions. And I don't know if we all have a guardian angel, but I think that there's enough angels to cover everybody. I'll put it like that. Why? Because God's angels encamp round about them that fear him and that doesn't mean that we just got one walking around with us encampment means that there's enough to surround us and i don't necessarily think that the lord is saying in heaven well you know what we have all this is the the quantity of the elect on the earth at one time and we only got 50% coverage of the angels. So, you know what? I got to send somebody over here. I got to send somebody over here. Oh, wait a minute. We're struggling over here. Let's leave this person to go over here. I think there's enough angels to go around. I put it like that. <laughs> I think there's enough angels to go around. And take about, talk about how seriously the Lord takes the growth and the protection of these little, little babes in Christ. It appears from this language that the Lord has a special grouping of angels to protect these vulnerable babes. Isn't that a beautiful thought to think about? Yes, there are many entrapments. Yes, there are many things that can, that can hinder the growth of little babes in Christ, but isn't it good to know that God has angels, I believe, that are encamping round about those little bitty ones, protecting them from that. And certainly we should not be the people uh, Detracting their growth in the kingdom of God verse 11 for the son of man has come to save that which was lost How think ye if a man have a hundred sheep and one of them be gone astray Doth he not leave the 99 and go into the mountains and seek that which is gone astray For if so be that he find it verily I say unto you he rejoiceth more of that sheep and of the ninety and nine which are gone astray. He says in Luke, putting it more succinctly, there is more joy in heaven, more joy in heaven over one sinner that repents, the ninety-nine just cells who don't need repentance. Okay? Now we get to the procedure of how we deal with offenses between brothers and sisters in the church. Verse 15, Moreover, if thy brother... Shall trespass against thee, and that word trespass means a l- legitimate sin. It's an offense. Not that I, they ruffled my feathers a little bit. Okay. Now, I want to add a caveat. <laughs> communication is important in every area of life. Okay. In church, in marriage, in parenting, between parents and children, in a business setting, communication is vitally important and I'm not saying that every time that somebody says something that ruffles you the wrong way that you just have to eat it but talk to them in love and don't create a bigger let's say I I want us to talk about this and reconcile this issue because I don't want there to be any harbored resentment because of my possible misunderstanding of something okay So this is not to say that you don't discuss these things. But what this is describing is not, hey, I took this the wrong way. What did you mean by it? And working through a possible miscommunication. This is talking about an offense, a sin. And if that sin is not egregious enough for you to bring two or three other people in, and if this sin is not egregious enough, and we don't really follow this pattern, and... The reason why we don't follow the pattern, I believe, is number number one, we don't get to step three because we probably don't do step one very well. We probably don't do step two very well. But I can tell you in my whole time in the church, this is not talking about excluding church members. This is talking about reconciling personal offenses. And I have not sat through any circumstance in the church where someone has brought an offense before the church and said, I've talked with them. I've brought two or three people with me or her. And they will not repent. And I need the church to intervene. That's never happened. In my time in the church, that's never happened. Because you want to know what normally happens? Number one, you don't talk to them individually. Number two, you don't take two or three people with you. Instead, you just hold a grudge for 20 years. That's the way we roll as Permanent (laughs) Baptists. If you do not talk to them individually to reconcile the issue is on you. It's on you. It's not up to... Now, okay, here's the other side of that, okay? Here's the other side of that, Matthew chapter 5. It's on you to talk to them. But here's the other side of that. Verse 23, Matthew 5. Therefore, if thou wilt bring thy gift to the altar... This is why we need to be in church, by the way. You need to be in a place where the Spirit of God is being manifested in a powerful way because not only are you going to be blessed by the preaching of the gospel but you would be surprised how many times I have thoughts come to my mind that have nothing to do with the topic of the message because I am in the presence of the Holy Spirit and the Spirit convicts me in that moment of something or, or gives me an understanding of something and when you come to worship if you bring your gift to the altar and you remember in the midst of this, the powerful manifestation of the Holy Spirit in worship if you remember that your brother hath all against you he said no, I don't want you to run out of church okay If you feel convicted about this, wait till the end of the message. It's not too long, okay? But he says, leave your gift right there. You need to deal with this immediately. If you know that I've offended somebody or I know someone has an offense against me that's a misunderstanding, if you're in the midst of public worship and you know that someone has an offense against you, then you go there and you be reconciled to your brother and then come back to worship, okay? So that's when you realize there's an issue. But what Matthew 18 is talking about, if you're offended, it is your responsibility to go tell them about it. Because we're going to talk about miscommunication. I guarantee you, most of the time, you will hear, you know I love you. I didn't mean to say that. I didn't mean to come across that way. I am so sorry. Please forgive me for that. You know what? That one or two-minute conversation can, can clear up a lot of issues. By you just following the biblical pattern, but instead, and I'm the same way. I'm the same way. I want to find people to justify me, so then I'm offended, and then I have a group of people that I know I can talk to, and they're going to be like, "What he said? What she said? Well, I can't believe they said that. Let's go talk to somebody else about it." And then, then that gossip tree starts starts growing. Okay. What's Jesus' pattern? You don't have the right to hold a grudge against anybody. If you, you don't have a right to hold a grudge anyway. But you don't have a right to hold a grudge against anybody unless you have talked to them individually first. It's on you. It's on you. Instead, I have had many instances where people have said, You said this two years ago, five years ago. You did this ten years ago. You did this 20 years ago. You did this 30 years ago. And if you have not talked to that person individually about it, you have been disobeying God's word for 20 or 30 years. The sin is on you at that point. Now, it may have been a legitimate sin in the beginning. It may have been a legitimate sin in the beginning. But if you don't follow God's pattern and you create a mountain out of a molehill, okay, and you don't talk to that person for twenty years you're the one that's been in disobedience for twenty years jesus created this pattern to alleviate all these issues okay so now if you talk to them and it's a legitimate trespass and they just dig their heels in it and they say nope i'm not gonna i'm not gonna forgive i'm not gonna repent i'm not gonna apologize they said okay now you need to bring a couple more people with you because when we get when it comes before the church it's not he said she said it's not he said he said it's not People just bickering. No, you have independent parties to verify everything that was said. This is the situation. They acknowledge this is the situation. They acknowledge there that that I was in the wrong, but they refuse to repent. You have to have independent parties to verify the facts and circumstances. In a court of law, you can't get up here and say, I heard somebody say. That's hearsay. That's hearsay. That's not applicable in a court of law. You have to have parties to verify. The truth of the interactions, because what we don't do is bring people up before the church and every and both parties just give their opinion. That's just God is not the author of confusion; <laughs> he's the author of peace. Okay, and that would be total confusion. People just arguing in front of the church body because they can handle their issue. Okay, but now you bring two or three people with you, and by the way, <laughs> you let two or three ind- independent parties understand all the facts and circumstances. Most of the time it's not a hundred percent zero okay most of the time it's 60-40 70-30 90-10 both parties are especially when you get your motion involved uh, you, you get riled up and we're gonna escalate the situation say something we shouldn't have said and both parties are gonna be in the wrong to a degree but then if you let some uh, independent parties look at that they should be able to say pretty simply okay listen you realize that this is wrong, right? (laughs) I, I mean, people can easily look at the facts and circumstances and look at the Word of God and be like, you know that you shouldn't have done that, right? And then they just dig their heels in and they say, no, I was totally justified in doing that. Okay, well now the next step is to bring it before the whole church body. Now, this is not talking about excluding people from the church. This is talking about personal fellowship. personal relationships and I will say that in my experience in the church I've never seen this third step happen now is it always because the circumstances were were resolved when there was with two or three I can tell you definitively no what happened what happened lines were drawn trenches were built unforgiveness grew grew and there's churches that have been split over this kind of garbage because people are not following the pattern that Jesus laid forth right here. Now, if you come before the church and the church clearly says, listen, you are totally in the wrong here. You're in the wrong. You need to repent. And they refuse to repent. Let's look at the language. Make sure we get it right. In verse 17, if he neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church, but if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee, okay? Let him be unto thee as a heathen and a pulcan. That means in your interactions with him, then I am going to back away from close fellowship with him. Now, what that does not say is that I recruit other people to say, If you don't denounce him, then I am against you. This is talking about your interaction with one individual person, and if you have an offense and you can't reconcile it, you back away from close fellowship. What you don't start doing is drawing lines in the sand and alliances and recruiting people against someone else. That's what happens in the church is that if you're not... (laughs) Boy, I'll tell you, there's no new thing under the sun, isn't it? Just like John... You're either for us or you're against us. And if you're in the middle, I'm shooting you too. (laughs) If you're in the middle, I'm calling down fire from heaven to, to consume you too. We have to show more love than that in the church. We have to show more forgiveness than that. Why? How dare we act that way in light of the cross of Jesus Christ that he has forgiven us? If you think that your little offense is worth you holding a grudge for 20 years about, and splitting the church over it, you do not understand the gravity of what you have been forgiven when Christ died for you on the cross. If that's how you treat a 100 pence debt when you've been forgiven a 10,000 talent debt. okay? That's why we got to understand the cross. That's why we have to understand we don't deserve anything. We're not saved by our works. We're saved by His free and sovereign grace. And you know what, you'd be very easy to look at that person and say, they don't deserve it. And most of the time, if you get to this point, you're, you're probably right. <clears throat> if you get to the point where two or three witnesses said, man, they're totally in the wrong. The church says, man, they're totally in the wrong. You're, you're in the right. You're justified. But you're not justified to hold grudges against them for 30 or 40 years. You're not justified to pit people against that other person and say if you're if you're not on my side then you're for them and you are against me there is one lord there is one spirit there is one faith and the head of the church will always lead the church in unity in unity god help us to understand the great death that we have been forgiven and to forgive others for Christ's sake as God has forgiven us. We'll stand in and sing a hymn to close. And I'd like to sing the last song in our songbook, number 502, an evening prayer. If I have wounded any soul today, if I have caused one foot to go astray, if I have walked in my own willful way, Dear Lord forgive if I have uttered idle words or vain if I have turned aside from Walter Payne lest I myself should suffer through the strain dear Lord forgive forgive the sins I have confessed to thee and Lord please forgive the secret sins I do not see oh guide me love me and my keeper be in Jesus name let's stand and sing this hymn we thank you for listening to today's message and invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For further information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org.